Welcome to the Introvertpreneur Podcast. Take a breath because you are in the right place and you can finally stop apologizing for being an introvert. I'm Tara and I've discovered how to thrive as an entrepreneur while being 100% true to myself. Now I want to help you do the same. In these episodes, you're going to find everything you need to build a successful service-based business so you can stop competing with extroverts and grow and market your business with ease. Are you ready? Welcome back to another episode of the Introvertpreneur Podcast. We are joined today by Haley Johnson, who is a trauma-informed marketing strategist and copywriter. And I love everything she stands for. And I'm so excited about this episode. We're going to get into copywriting, sales tactics that aren't icky, and how to make your business more ethical when it comes to marketing and We might also toss in some LinkedIn stuff because I know I have a lot of people in my membership and my world who are like, I want to learn more about LinkedIn. So we have lots of things that we can chat about. So welcome. I'm so excited you're here. Thank you so much for having me. I feel like this has been a long time in the making. I know you were on my pitch list for a while, so I'm glad (laughs) that we're finally making this happen. Yeah, I know. I've wanted you on the podcast for quite a while. You were a part of one of my events and I was just like blown away. And now I've got you in my Airtable database of like (laughs) people I want to work with in the future. So (laughs) what an honor. (laughs) (laughs) So I'm so excited for this. So yeah, I would love for you to share a little bit more about you, kind of your journey, just for anyone who isn't familiar with you. Yeah, definitely. So I always kind of say that I started my business by accident and I became a LinkedIn expert by accident because that's kind of how that cookie crumbled. But right now, everything that I do in my business is very intentional. So I studied sociology, among other things, in undergrad. And then when I graduated, I wasn't really like sure about a career in social work or something like that, that a sociology degree kind of preps you for. And I happened to be really good at marketing. So I just started freelancing because I didn't know what I wanted to do. I didn't want to shoehorn myself into an industry or specialty that I didn't care about. Like I'd heard so many people saying like, oh, I used to want to do this fun thing. And now I've been working in automotive sales for 20 years. And I didn't want that to be my story. So I just started freelancing and kind of figured out the rest from there. I went on to get a master's degree in strategic marketing and advertising from Temple during the pandemic. That was my my pandemic project. And then now I help values-driven service providers create marketing strategies that feel good. So I always say it's marketing that feels good for people that do good. And if you are someone who helps someone with what you do, I want to help you kind of spread that message and spread that word in a way that feels good, feels authentic to you, and is conscious of both your limitations and your kind of stressors and what you need to feel safe running your business. But then also the same thing with your ideal clients, like what they need to feel safe in that working relationship. So that's how I work with people. I love that. Yeah, that makes all the difference. Because I find that, you know, until you find that place where you're marketing and selling in a way that is like ethical and values driven. I feel like it's usually, if you're not at that place, it's usually you're in the spot where you're like, I don't want to sell because I feel like it's going to come across like super icky and salesy. Yeah, exactly. 
So finding that like authentic sweet spot is so important. Yeah. And I think too, especially for introverts, it can sometimes feel like the concept of authentic sales or the concept of feel good sales is just like decide you're comfortable being extroverted or decide you're comfortable like showing up and doing things or like being a certain way. But it's really about figuring out the kind of ecosystem of offers and sales processes and marketing collateral that feels good for you, makes sense for you, and then also connects with your ideal clients. And then you don't feel gross doing it. They don't feel gross being sold to, and you can actually make more money. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because I I feel like a lot of the messaging around sales that I've been seeing recently is all about like, just keep doing it, just keep putting it out there. But if you're doing that in a way that's, you know, you haven't done the, the figuring out what works best for you and what actually feels good, you're just mm-hmm. going to keep like throwing information at your audience and it just, it it's going to feel not the best. So yeah, then you will hate sales or continue mm-hmm. to, to dislike sales. And there's so much nuance to it too, where it's like, if you are creating content for the sake of creating content, putting stuff out there, putting stuff out there, and then you book a sales call and you hate sales. So you don't really want to be on the call, but also you really need to make this sale because you're not doing a great job at doing sales. Like the stakes are so high that we get so caught up in like getting someone on the call that we kind of forget about what we need to do to actually close the call. And what that can look like and how it should differ at these various points in your life and in your business. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's true too. I've seen a lot of marketing lately, given the the pitch DMs that I get a ton Mm -hmm. on now it's Facebook because I'm not on Instagram, but like from appointment setters, like I can book you 40 calls per week. And I'm like, that's great, but I don't want that. Mm that wouldn't feel good for me. Like getting on just random sales calls with people who I haven't like personally communicated with or know a little bit or have vetted myself. So yeah, I, yeah, I love, I love that. Well, you have to think too about the aftermath of that. Like, okay, cool. You have 40 sales calls. Either you have 40 sales calls and don't close a majority of them, which is bad because you just wasted your time on a bunch of sales calls or you have 40 sales calls and then you have 40 new projects and like either case I would not want. (laughs) No, it sounds like a really bad way to just dive into sales by having someone else do it for you. What would you say are some of the like um, worst sales tactics that you've seen in the online space that people should avoid? (laughs) Well, so I think we all kind of I don't know, maybe that's presumptuous to say that we're all familiar with what it's like to be on the other end of a bad sales situation. I definitely do. (laughs) (laughs) But so I think, you know, these aren't going to sound revolutionary. It's when you get the cold DM from someone that very clearly did not take the time to look at your profile or look at your website or like get any idea of what you do and then pitch you something that's either like exactly what you do already or just completely out of the realm of possibility for your business. Like when someone is trying to sell something to you, that's just not a match. Obviously that's bad and uncomfortable, but then you're at least not faced like with having to turn them down on a call or with having to, you know, say no in person, you can kind of just ignore the DM or be like, okay, thanks. I'm not interested. I think the hardest ones for me to swallow are when you hear people telling people to like 
pressure them to close on the call, pressure people to get the card number on the call. Or this is one that really bothers me is when, you know, a lot of the people I work with are small business owners. Maybe they're in the earlier stages of their business where they're not paying themselves what they need to pay themselves. And so there's kind of a blend of business and personal finances as far as like, what their partner contributes to their household, what they contribute to their household, and certain business decisions can influence whether or not they're able to contribute to their household that month. So when people are saying like, oh, I need to go talk to my husband or I need to talk to my partner before making a business decision, my least favorite piece of sales advice that I've ever come across is like challenging them on that. And being like, oh, well, is it your husband's business? Is it your partner's business? And that's like shaming people for so many Mm -hmm. reasons. And it's not helpful because you don't want to start a working relationship with someone because they felt pressured to give you money. And then they're now so pressured to make an ROI from that that they like don't even care about the experience. They just want it to be over. My personal least favorite sales experience that I've ever had was a few years ago, I tried to buy Windows And in order to buy windows, it's like the most annoying hoop jumping through process ever. Like someone has to come to your house and you have to make an appointment and they're there for like two hours measuring everything and telling you about it to give you this like custom quote or whatever. And this one lady would not leave. She's throwing all of these discounts at me, trying to get me to make a decision like right there in the Mm. moment, because I think they make more money if that happens. But by the end of it, I was just like, I don't think you're a real company. There's no way you can get my window quote from $15,000 to $5,000 and still do a good Mm -hmm. job. Mm -hmm. So I think it's just all of this pressure stuff that we feel like if someone doesn't feel too uncomfortable to say no to us, that's a good thing. I feel like I just rambled a lot there, but I think the general point is clear and we can all relate to some facet of one of those experiences. Yeah, that's, that's a really, cause I had my worst story that I think I've shared a couple times is, you know, a few years ago, I was looking for somebody to like do the, do run ads for me. Like I didn't want, I've already taken courses on ads. Mm -hmm. I just wanted somebody to do it. And I ended up booking a call and they were like in the email, like, Oh, you sound like you're a perfect fit, blah, blah, blah. Get on the call. And it's a salesperson who is trying to convince me to sign up for a $2,000 ads program. And I'm like, I I don't want a program like right now. I don't have, I don't have the time to go through another program. I already feel like I know ads pretty well. I've taken like these other four programs and courses. I just want to have it done for me. And I'm willing to pay for that. And she was like, oh my gosh, the tactics that were used. I wish I had like that call recorded because it was, <laughs> oh, I got off that call just feeling so terrible. And the the tactics that were used, like the gaslighting and the, oh, if you don't, you know, if you don't do this, like you're, you're not going to be successful. You're not going to hit these numbers, blah, blah, blah. And you have to sign up right now on the call in order to save a thousand dollars or something. And blah, blah, blah. And at the time I was just so taken back by it because it wasn't at all what I expected on the Mm -hmm. call that I signed up and I got in there and you got, got, (laughs) I know it was, Oh, it was the worst experience ever. I just, I felt so bad. Like I was mad at myself. I was mad at them. (laughs) I was just mad all around. Mm -hmm. And then I, I was like, okay, well I bought it. So let's just get in there. There's 
it was so outdated information. Like it was not at all helpful in at all. And I was like, how can somebody like sell somebody who they know who has said over and over, I want it done for me. I do not have the time to go through a course. Like how can you mm-hmm. ethically sell some and pressure somebody into a program that you know that they're, they don't really need or want right now? Yeah, I think that's what happens a lot of times when we try to grow or scale too quickly. And we like, you know, maybe the first thing we'll outsource is a little bit of marketing, or then we'll outsource a little bit of like back end operation stuff. But the thing that I think a lot of people want to outsource and want to outsource quickly is sales, partly because they don't like doing it for whatever reason. And partly because like, it's like pouring gasoline on a fire. It's like you have all these people out here setting appointments, making calls and trying to sell for you, you're going to get more sales. But what happens when we do that is we create this like crater between the person doing the selling and the person ultimately delivering the service and the knowledge of the industry and of the needs of the person you're selling to gets diluted the further into like growing this sales team you go. So that's kind of a situation, you know, in your experience where you knew your needs, you knew what you were interested in, you knew what you weren't interested in. And the salesperson probably didn't know enough about what that meant to know how to do anything other than sell you the program they were trying to sell you. And like, it's not necessarily the salesperson's fault, but it is the fault of, I think, the industry that tells us, oh, just hire salespeople, like make it work and then it'll be Mm -hmm. fine. I think we especially in the online industry, sometimes get so caught up in the numbers and the selling process and in making the selling process easy on the business owner that we kind of forget like once you've sold something, you have to deliver it. And yeah, that's obviously not doing a service to the actual person who's like trying to buy the thing. Yeah. And like, this is bigger name. And every time now, like I've never spoken to the business owner. But now every time I see her name, I'm like reminded of that feeling. And I'm just like, oh, this just, it feels so icky. But yeah, it was just, oh, I I think the good thing about it though, it really taught me like, this is the complete opposite of how I ever want to run my business. I never Mm -hmm. want to make somebody feel this way or get something that's not a fit for what they need or their goals or what they're looking for. Like I even still right now, there's somebody that I'm friends with on Facebook that we've never really talked, but I continue to, um, you know, stay friends just to see her post because it's a lot of like what I don't want to do. A lot of the messaging is like, why, you know, if you don't invest $60,000 in one-on-one, you're not going to be successful. You need to invest. And um, if you don't invest this much in yourself, you know, you're not confident and blah. I'm just like, mm, it's, this is all <laughs> terrible. But so I, I keep her just to see those posts and be like, yeah, this is a reminder of how I never want to be. <laughs> yeah. I got to keep your finger on the pulse for stuff like that. Awesome. So um, when it comes to like ethical and trauma informed marketing, like what are some of your best tips for somebody who's like, Um, I really struggle with selling just in general because I don't want to come across that way. Mm -hmm. So what would you say is like the first tip or thing that somebody should do in order to not kind of cross that, that line into 
unethical territory. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. So I think the intersection of ethical marketing, ethical copy, and then trauma-informed marketing copy is something that I really try to live in and educate on because I started using the like terms and concept of ethical copy and marketing. And then I realized like, it doesn't really mean anything. And it's becoming this new buzzword. And I'm seeing more and more people kind of like pop out calling stuff ethical. And I'm like, is that ethical? Like, I don't think so. So I like to start out with the concepts of being a trauma informed service provider, because there's actual like, definitions to support what it means to be trauma informed. And it's really built on the pillars of transparency, safety and consent. So whenever I'm working on a new marketing campaign, getting ready for a sales call, working on any piece of my business, I think how can it come back to transparency, safety and consent, both for myself, like between me and my own business, and then also between the business and the consumer or the business and the person that I'm selling to. So when it comes to transparency, we want to think about things like pricing, program information. Are these pieces of information readily available for your ideal client to take a look at before they come to the call? Or does someone have to book a call with you to learn anything? This is a really big thing that you notice in like one-on-one service providers because things are so specific and bespoke from person to person. Um, I know if I go on a web designer's website, the odds of me actually finding out about the process and the timeline and the pricing is going to be pretty low because I know it's going to vary so much from project to project. And that makes sense. But is there a way that we can provide more of that information leading up to a sales call or leading up to an inquiry so that the person making that decision can feel more empowered and feel more confident that they're headed down a path that's actually appropriate for them. So that's one way to start out thinking about transparency. Then we get to safety, which is where a lot of these like high pressure sales tactics can come in. We kind of feel unsafe when someone is pressuring us and telling us that if we don't do this, we will fail. Or if we don't make a decision now, there will be financial consequences. So safety is one of the things that we manipulate a lot of times in sales situations, because if you make someone feel unsafe and then present your offer as a solution to make them feel safer, that's not good. We don't want to start out by making people feel unsafe. We want to start out by making people feel safe. So a great way to approach this in sales calls is asking your prospects or the person you're talking to, like, how does this feel for you? Does this feel like something that can fit into your life, your budget, your business? Let's talk about these feelings, not so that I can dispel them and tear them down and tell you that you're thinking small, but so that we can have an open dialogue about how this offer supports you and what maybe is needed to make it feel more supportive. And then finally, we have consent, which is just asking throughout the process, like, how does this feel for you? Can I talk to you about pricing? Can I send you a follow-up? And making people feel like they are in a back and forth relationship and not just this like one-sided, I have to follow your process. There's no time for questions. There's no room for nuance or you know, you thought you were going to talk about a one-on-one service and then you got pitched a program, Mm -hmm. like you didn't consent to that. So it's kind of like doing everything we can to avoid the bait and switch by being as clear about the process as possible. 
And so those are things that I like to keep in mind when having sales conversations and when building out sales and marketing material, because that helps me feel like I'm supporting the needs and potential triggers or trauma of the people in my audience. And that helps me feel better about sales. Like I feel more safe in a sales conversation when I'm leading with transparency, when I'm prioritizing the safety of the person I'm speaking to, and when I'm asking for consent along the way. Um, So it's kind of like a two-way street, but it really all comes down to like flexibility and the willingness to accommodate the needs of yourself and others without just following a rigid format and hoping for the best, even if it doesn't feel good to you or them. Yeah. I think that's a really good point too. Cause if like thinking about my experience of like the bait and switch of what I, what the call was about and like, if they had just said, like, I don't know what the reason was, whether this was the case with all of the calls that like it was booked through a one-on-one, like I want done for you services sales page, whether maybe they were booked out, like, but if they, if I had gotten on a call and they were like, oh, we're booked out right now. We do have this program. That's an option, blah, blah, blah. I would have probably said like, if there wasn't pressure tactics, I would have just said, okay, well, can you keep me like informed? And when you have a Mm -hmm. spot open, like I would have been a retainer client for years probably and right. felt really amazing about working with them and not now a couple of years later just feel awful about it like I would have went on to maybe buy more stuff and like referred people and mm-hmm. so it's not just about like getting that sale on the call it's about like the relationship and the long-term result from that like my customer lifetime value with them would have been 10 times what I paid for that course if that call went a very different way. Yeah. And that's something I think we can apply to a lot of our relationships too. Like when we're booking coffee chats with people, when we're just making connection calls, or if we're, for example, growing our network on LinkedIn, like you don't need to turn everything into a sales conversation, but you can ask. And if someone is interested, you can share and they can learn. And I don't think that that makes you like a timid salesperson or a bad business owner. And I think that's something that a lot of sales content tries to push is this idea that like, if you're not selling, like you got to be selling all the time. Like if you talk to someone, they need your business card. They need to know how to work with you. Like they need all this stuff. And it's like, sometimes they don't. And it's presumptuous and like kind of (laughs) rude to just assume that everyone you talk to would be like dead on the ground if they didn't have your services like we're not that important like <laughs> yeah I love that and it's it's really about like I, I always go back to like the um serving over selling like if you're mm-hmm. positioning things in a way of like of service to the person you are speaking to and not in a yeah just gotta make the sale kind of way like the long-term benefits to you. And also it's going to feel so much better. You're not going to feel like sales are sleazy or icky. It's just, I don't know why more people don't, don't do it. I know that it's, it, it's kind of like, I, I think the the quick win of like, yes, like close mm-hmm. the sale. It's kind of in that way of social media, quick wins of like, yeah, X comments or X likes. It's kind of that way. I think with with sales calls, it's like, yeah, nailed the sale, like yeah. get off it and celebrate. Whereas, you know, it, that might not have been the best approach <laughs> for some cases. 
Yeah. Well, I think a lot of it too comes down to this idea that if you're not like doubling your business every year, you're doing something wrong or doing something bad. Like I'm on year six, I think of my business and I'm on year three of like kind of hovering at the same like revenue level or whatever. And I don't think that's a bad thing. And I think we're kind of told that it's a bad thing. So we get so focused on making as many sales as possible, building as scalable of a program or system as possible, and then kind of forgetting like, well, it's great that you'll be able to sustain yourself when you've scaled like 10 times, but how are you doing now? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, what's the what's the business looking like today if you're building around a schedule for, you know, your future you that makes $2 million a year? What about your today you that's at like 75K? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't need to think so far into the future all the time. I, I've seen a lot of content that pushes that kind of narrative too, like, your five-year vision plan, and then you focus just on that. And it's like, okay, but, you know, there's a lot of things that I maybe could be doing for the now um, and where my business is at now. And and I think one thing I've I've started sharing is like, it's okay not to want a million-dollar business. Like, there's so much pushing towards that. Like, you have to scale, you have to grow, you like want this $10 million business. And my husband tells me all the time, like, if I had your knowledge, I would be a millionaire. And I'm like, yeah, but I don't really want to be a millionaire. I I just, I want to help people and yeah, I want growth and I want to scale, but I don't want to grow so quickly that it like stops feeling comfortable or like, you know, I have this huge program, but I'm not even like the person in it. I have like 10 coaches in the pro like that's just not Mm -hmm. the vision that I want yeah and I think when we do this so quickly too we lose touch between like oh I have this big program and it's like a multi-million dollar whatever and there's 10 coaches inside and I think that if you do that too quickly you're not giving your clients the experience that they would be getting if they were working with you because you just like needed to do it so fast maybe you didn't have the you know, frameworks in place or the education in place to have your coaches do it the way that you would do it. And so then I think it gets to be kind of like murky waters or a little disingenuous when it's like, oh, this is the my name here coaching program. You will never see Mm me. (laughs) Like if you're lucky and you pay all of this extra money to attend like a client only event that's not included, like you might get hot seat coached with me for five Mm -hmm. minutes, but like, that's it. And I'm just like, we don't, we don't need that. And we need to stop letting people tell us that we do. Yeah. I think that for me, like that was a, a big shift when I was like, I know what I don't want. And now that I know what I don't want right now and in the future, now I can shift my vision of what I do want and how like it's really important to me to be the one showing up for my audience. So I don't want to experience like super massive growth. And if it ever got to that point, I would have to reevaluate and figure out like, how am I going to keep this in a way that I'm still here? I'm still accessible. Um, Cause that's a big piece of my business. I feel like I want to be accessible to my clients and Mm -hmm. my students and I know I've read some content too that's like, oh, people aren't going to buy from you if you're so accessible. I'm like, "Mm, I don't know about that. (laughs) 
Yeah. I think sometimes we, especially I guess as women, we wind up needing to do a lot more work to feel comfortable upholding boundaries. This is just like something I've experienced, something I know my friends have experienced. Like it takes a little longer to like have a boundary than it maybe would take like my partner to set a boundary. If he's like, I don't want to do something, he's like, I'm not doing mm-hmm. it. That's my boundary. I'm done. Or it's like, I'm like, I don't really want to do this, but if it would make you happy, like yeah. there's this whole like algorithm to decide like, if this boundary is worth holding. But I think once we realize how to hold boundaries, I think we kind of forget that we're still allowed to overstep our own boundaries or to take those boundaries down. And when we set a boundary like, oh, I only take calls on Tuesdays, maybe we're missing a lot of opportunities because we're not willing to open our calendar simply because we put that boundary in place. Or I don't know, I took a program that was like, you know, selling a course without sales calls or whatever. And once I stopped offering sales calls, people stopped buying the program. And I was like, well, should I have stuck with not doing sales calls? I don't Mm -hmm. think so. (laughs) like we're allowed to change our minds and create businesses that work for our personalities, our stages of life, our calendar schedules, like whatever it is. And you can still have boundaries and be flexible. Yeah. I think that's a good point. Cause I've been, um, you know, I really love a big value of mine is like flexibility when it comes to like what I'm doing, what I'm doing in the future. Like if I have a rush of like a new idea, I want to just run with it. So Mm -hmm what I had to stop doing was give like finalized statements. Like I'm never going to do this again. I'm, I will Mm -hmm. never run this again. And I've had to stop that because I'm like, I can't say that. I don't know how I'm going to feel in a year from now. So I'm like, Mm -hmm. I don't want to say something and then it not be true. And people are like, "What, what is this? You lied or, you know, so I think this comes back to being ethical and transparent and So I had to shift that language and be like, okay, I'm not going to run this again in 2023. It will probably be the the last live round of this program. Mm -hmm. I can't say for certain, but as of right now, it probably will be. Um, So I've kind of had to make myself aware when I'm saying those statements of like, this is never going to be the lower than this or this is like never going to happen again, or I'm closing this and I'm changing this. Like I had to be really more mindful because I know that, you know, I'd like flexibility and I'm not sure what I'm going to feel like a year from now or two years from now. Yeah. That's something I've been playing around with a lot lately too, is like when I first kind of dove into the trauma-informed education, I put a lot of pressure on myself to be trauma-informed for everybody else And I kind of forgot that I need to be trauma-informed for myself also, and to some extent to myself first. Two of my core values are compassion and humility. So like I need to be compassionate to my own limitations and my own situations and also like be humble enough to know that I'm not as important as I think I am. Um, So for something that we were doing recently, um, I have a membership and we're raising the price and I genuinely do not know what we're raising the price to. Like right now it's $27 at the time of recording, but it could be $47 when we reopen it. It could be $97 when we reopen it. Like I genuinely could not tell you (laughs) if my life depended on it. I simply do not know. And I really struggled with sending out the, the price is going up. I don't have any more information (laughs) email to my audience because that like goes so against like the transparency but really like being transparent by saying, I have no idea 
what's going to do. Like that's just as transparent as saying a price. And I think being honest about not really knowing and waiting until I have more information to decide is more valuable than just like calling it a hundred dollars and hoping people pay for mm-hmm. it. Cause that's not really of service to anybody. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. Yeah. Like giving yourself that flexibility to like apply your values to yourself. Like that is such an important point there to, you know, you set these values, you need to actually like live them too. <laughs> yeah. And like take the benefit from mm-hmm. them. It's like, if you run a company and you have employees and you give your employees like paid time off and all these perks. And then you're just like, I work 24 seven and I make $4 a year. Like you need to take advantage of your own like goodness that you want to spread to the world, like spread it to yourself Mm -hmm. first. I love that. Yeah. That's a really good point. So yeah, I wanted to um, just get into LinkedIn a little bit. Um, cause I could talk about Let's do it rapid fire. <laughs> I could talk about like <laughs> marketing and all of this forever, but so I'd love to hear what are your like top tips for somebody who's maybe just getting started on LinkedIn or wants to start using LinkedIn, because I do think it's a great platform for introverts. It's like less about, you know, the engagement and hustle of other social media mm-hmm. platforms. It's more about like connections. And yeah, I think it's a, it can be a really great platform for introverts. Yeah. So, oh gosh, where do I even begin? Um, I love LinkedIn for a bunch of reasons. I think if you are someone who's new to the platform, you've never done it before. I have a quiz on my website. It's just the propagy.com slash quiz. Um, and it will tell you what your lead gen archetype is. So it will tell you if you are kind of like a wallflower, you want people to come to you. It'll tell you if you are a social butterfly who loves networking. Something tells me that most of our listeners <laughs> are not going to fall into that category. But that's like what I am is I love networking. I love to connect with people, just not so much in big rooms of them. Or if you are someone who really thrives on creating content and being seen and kind of being the center of attention that way. So that's a great starting point because it will tell you where you can focus first on LinkedIn because LinkedIn offers so many different, you know, faces that you can use. You can use it for one-on-one networking. You can use it for content creation. You can use it to just have your profile so that people can find you and take next steps from there. Um, So it's really flexible in that way where no matter what you thrive on from a marketing perspective, you can find a place to do it on LinkedIn. When it comes to content, content lasts longer on LinkedIn. The ratio of LinkedIn users to LinkedIn content creators is really high. So most of the people who use LinkedIn don't create content on a regular basis. So stuff lasts longer. I've had posts where someone will tag me in something and I'll get a notification like a month later that someone else liked it or someone else commented. So the longevity is really beneficial there, especially if you have a low kind of bar for how much content you can create because it means that the content you create actually lasts. But then my final tip that I wish I could tattoo across my forehead is like, don't overthink it. It's not the end of the world. We get a lot of like in our heads sometimes when it comes to LinkedIn because it's for where you go to get a job or it's where you go to like be impressive and wear a blazer. But your LinkedIn network kind of informs what your LinkedIn network likes. So if you are a creative, if you are an online business person and you're connecting with your idle clients who are probably other creatives and other online business people, they're not expecting you to show up with like, perfect grammar and punctuation (laughs) and like all that stuff. You can just kind of post as you would everywhere else, show up on LinkedIn as you would everywhere else and take advantage of 
people being there because they want to learn about business, take advantage of being able to grow your network in a super targeted way, and take advantage of the fact that you can create something and it will actually be seen for more than the 24 hours that you get on Instagram or TikTok or whatever. So yeah, the most unhelpful advice is like, just do it. (laughs) But the more helpful side of that is like, do it because you will start to see results happen. And then you can really have fun and experiment with how LinkedIn works best for you. I like what you said about people are on LinkedIn, like, because they want to learn about business. Whereas, you know, with Mm -hmm. Instagram, TikTok, people are on there for the most part to be like entertained. So Mm -hmm. I think like if you're an expert and share value and have lots of like great content to share, you might be surprised at how much more traction and results you're going to get on LinkedIn. Yeah, definitely. And just like one more love for the LinkedIn features is LinkedIn search is so powerful, even if you don't have sales navigator, that you can get really targeted and specific with like the size of companies you want to connect with or the titles of people that you want to connect with. Um, And you can also do my favorite thing that's kind of creepy, which is um, like kind of stalk other people's networks. So if you wanted to connect with like other creative entrepreneurs that are interested in a specific topic, like find someone who you admire in the industry or you're connected with in the industry who has a good sized network. And then you can just kind of like go through their network and reach out to people that feel like good fits to you. And you don't have to send in mail to do it. Like anything you try to do on LinkedIn, if they try to get you to give them money, there's a free way most of the time. (laughs) That's a good point. That's a good tip too. Because sales navigator is expensive. <laughs> yeah, I think I signed up for it once and I was like, I don't really know what the difference is or if this is. <laughs> so I think I used it for like three months, but. Yeah, I mean, quick rundown for the differences. If anyone listening is like on the fence, basically sales navigator allows you to save search parameters. So if you're running searches on a consistent basis, if you're doing a lot of outreach, You can save a specific search, get notified when new people pop up under those parameters, and then actually save the leads to reach out to later. But I personally don't like the way you have to save the leads. So even when I used SalesNav, I like kept a spreadsheet to track it all on my own. And then you can also send messages, I think, to people that you're not connected with. You get like in-mail credits, but you can leave a note when you send a connection request to someone. So if you just do that, then it's free. (laughs) And then they're in your network. So all about the LinkedIn hacks. See, I didn't even know that. And I was, I used it for a couple months, but I, I get some messages that say like in mail and I'm like, I just assume that they like paid to like have that mass sent out to people. So <laughs> I just don't even, I mean, they kind of do. Yeah. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. I learned something new about LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Everyone does when they talk to me, <laughs> whether they want to or not. So I know you have two quizzes. So we're going to have those links in the show notes, also your website. So if anyone wants to connect with you and learn more about your membership or your one-on-one services, are there other ways for um, people to work with you besides like the the one-on-one like done for you? I do some kind of like one-off consulting stuff. If anyone ever wants to pick my brain, I have a power hour for 250 where basically I just talk as fast as possible at you about your topic of choice for about an hour. 
We can do anything from like kind of brainstorming for offer strategy. I have one coming up later this week. Someone is looking to put together a workshop to fund a specific thing that they're doing. So they have a revenue goal. So we're going to talk through everything from like the marketing to the positioning of that and kind of just whatever we can get done in an hour. That's my favorite way to work with people for the first time because it gives you the opportunity to kind of get an idea of what it's like to work together. It's great for like market research, consulting and things like that. But then otherwise, yeah, it's just um, the membership, which is called Thought Leaders Collective. Who knows what it costs? We're going to find <laughs> out probably by the time this episode goes live. Um, <laughs> but Thought Leaders Collective helps you establish yourself as a thought leader. We use LinkedIn as our primary tool to do so. But in the new iteration, we're also having more opportunities to connect for podcast interviews, network with other members and really build out the credibility side of your business or of your personal brand as you venture into thought leadership. I love that. Yeah. Cause your, your network is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Um, and I know as an introvert, it can be hard sometimes to like put yourself out there and make those connections. But I really think this year it's like, that is a really powerful way to get more qualified people in your world is through your network. (laughs) And honestly, I think part of it is because of the shift in culture around like marketing and sales content on social media is we don't know who to believe because everyone is following the same copy templates and everyone has like a great person helping them with all of their marketing. So like we don't know who's actually legit until we can hear from someone who has actually worked with them. So building your network and keeping your former clients happy, I think is going to be like the hot new marketing strategy for 2023 and beyond. Yeah. And I think that works like that's a good thing for introverts because Mm -hmm. I I feel like we're great with connecting one-on-one with clients once we have them delivering value and creating a great results and experience. Like we're really compassionate and care about what we're doing for our clients mm-hmm. or for our students. And I think like that, that's going to make a huge difference. Like I, yeah, I know um, I I've seen a lot of people recently who are maybe shifting from the, you know, high ticket, you have to do high ticket, you have to pay this huge amount, you have to invest, blah, blah, blah. And they're kind of shifting things. And I think what you said too about, you know, we don't know who to trust. Mm -hmm. It's, that's where, you know, finding your authentic voice and being real and showing up as, as you are is going to be key because, I mean, I've seen quite a few offers that I've signed up for or programs where I got in there and I realized, you know, the person is really good at marketing and selling, but that's not what they're teaching in this program. And it's, you know, not the best, (laughs) but it's obvious that, you know, they're, they're good at selling, they're good at sales strategy and making money, but maybe not delivering on the, on the back end. Yeah, definitely. That is something I could talk about for hours, but (laughs) we both probably have other things to do with our day. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think, I mean, even like when I buy something now, like having the, I think everyone goes through, has at least one experience that they go through and maybe they're pressured or sign up for something because of all the shiny messaging behind it. And then they get in there and they're like, oh, this isn't exactly what I expected or what I thought it would be. 
So I think we all have to go through that, which sucks at least once. But then, you know, for me now, when I think about signing up for something or investing in something, I make sure that like I've signed up for the person's free stuff. Mm-hmm. I've watched them on video to me because I've, I signed up for a few things where I'm like, I can't even, I, I can't connect with how this person talks. Mm, yeah. <laughs> so it makes the, even though the content might be good, I'm like, I just can't get past their energy. Um, So I should have like watched a free video or some content before signing up. So I'm doing that now. I'm being more intentional about like what I sign up for. And I think the whole industry in a way is kind of doing that more. Like you really need to, to show up more for your audience. They need to really feel that no like and trust factor first. Yeah, definitely. That's that's the recession talking. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so true. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much for joining. And yeah, I'm so excited about this episode and um, definitely connect with Haley. She's absolutely amazing and is so knowledgeable and kind. And I love everything that you put out and even get on her email list, take the quizzes. I I just love everything you do. So go check it out. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Thank you so much for joining me today. This episode may have ended, but there are ways we can stay in touch until next time. You can join me at thetarareed.com where you can find tons of blog posts and resources that will also help you grow your business. And don't forget to follow me on Instagram at introvertcoach where I share more introvert-friendly and service-based business tips with you. If you love what you're hearing, drop a five-star rating and review telling me what you are loving about the podcast so that I can continue to encourage as many introverted entrepreneurs as possible. Until next time, keep using your introvert superpowers.